We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickGrungood.com. All of the stats, tools, and info that I will be referencing on the podcast this week can be found over at RickGrungood.com. Now is an incredible time to sign up. You will get all of my premium writing in there, an extremely in-depth preview of the course every single week. I wrote 4,800 words this morning on the three-course rotation at the American Express, which I don't really know whether to be proud of or embarrassed about, but that is the uh, type of effort and insight that you will get at com. Also, my season-long fantasy golf weekly rankings, if you are in a season-long fantasy golf league, uh, this is the only place that you are going to find somebody providing weekly rankings, answering start sick questions, waiver wire advice, all of it. So if you play season long fantasy golf, which I know a lot of you do, I cannot emphasize enough being a part of the Rick run good community. And then of course my Wednesday DraftKings article where I break down the weather. We nailed it last week, by the way, my core plays. We also nailed that one last week. Shout out Hayden Buckley. Uh, And ownership, which I spend an ungodly amount of time on as well. So in my opinion, based on all of the content and data that you are getting, there's not a better deal than rickrungood.com in the entire fantasy golf and betting industry. So sign up today using promo code Andy. That is the important part if you want to help me out. And we'd love to have you as part of the team. Coming up on this podcast, my good friend Tom Jacobs of Odds Checker uh, is here to break down the entire betting board for the American Express, including, yes, you guessed it, picks. Tom is one of uh, my favorite guys to talk with when it comes to betting. I have a tremendous amount of respect for his insight and knowledge and I'm sure you'll find out why during this episode. So without further ado, let's bring on Tom. All right. Tom Jacobs is here of odds checker. Uh, Tom, it's been a while, man. It's good to see you, buddy. I know we've kind of crossed that threshold when you 
actually came over to my house in New York of uh, of Twitter friends into real life friends. So uh, it's good to have you back, buddy. It's been too long. Yeah, it was good to break up. I guess well, did we do this tournament last year or one early on? Then so something earlier in the season. Yeah, you know, I have just... my rotation now, so yeah. it's like I pretty much have you come on every year. I have my little group of like. 15 to 20 guys that i just rotate so you might have been on twice last year honestly you might have been on for like a a fall swing event and then and then something like this but i can assure you that whatever tournament you were on for last year probably didn't have as good a a good a field as we've got this week that's wild this week um it's interesting though because i was thinking about this right so i look at it and like obviously we've got five like officially we've got five of the top seven and i think it's something like 12 or 13 of the top 20 but i was thinking is it because of the world rankings and the system failure of it at the moment that makes it look more impressive than it is great question i mean to be honest there isn't anybody in this field really that i would say like is a is well basically like brian Harmon is the only guy yeah. that i'd be like wow should brian is brian Harmon really the 24th best player in the world but the star power at the top is legit star power but what i'm thinking like john rahm and cantley always plays event right or most of the time Shit yeah which is weird to me about rahm too because yeah Rom is saying basically last year this is a piece of shit putting contest yeah, i was shocked that he was in the field this year yeah, it's weird that he's back. Scheffler plays, Finau plays it generally. Zalatoris played it last year. Shuffle generally doesn't play it, so he's kind of an addition, I guess. But like Xander hasn't played since 2018. I'm as I'm also surprised that Xander's a field, given the fact that he's also battling a back well. injury. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think generally speaking, like I guess it's more the system and how it ranks the players at the moment as opposed to like because Cameron Young's what like top 15 player in the world I, I don't think he actually is so oh you think cameron young is worse than top 15 yeah interesting i bet him this week so we'll talk about we'll that. talk about that's it. a good yeah, nice. yeah no i love that um no well you could be right i mean also i just got back from palm springs tom it's fucking gorgeous so it could just be that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, if I got the opportunity just to go to Palm Springs for any other reason, <laughs> I'd go. So, um, yeah, I can I can absolutely see why they would do it. Yeah, it could I, just I guess, it could just be a wives' week. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's just <laughs> like you roll from Hawaii over to Palm Springs. It's not a bad life, is it? <laughs> no, it's, it's certainly not at all. But what's I mean, these courses kind of stink. To be honest with you, I mean, you, here's the thing: all courses in Palm Springs. Have you ever been out to Palm Springs? No, Tom. No. It's, it's like, very resorty, though, isn't it? It's resorty, but it's like very dystopian. Like everything kind of blends together. Like you'll see rows and rows of houses, and it's just like it's all these little gated communities that are all kind of on top of each other. I think you know Arizona may beat it in terms of square mileage, but it's up there as the most golf courses in the country per it's square mileage Arizona I think is the only other one that has a claim for this but you know all of these golf courses sit right on top of each other they are all extremely extremely similar in their design features and these are these are no different right I've never played these courses but I 
just came back from Palm Springs. I played four different courses in Palm Springs and I, I couldn't really tell you what I couldn't really tell you one defining hole or feature that stood out to me out of the four courses that I played. The only thing I know about Palm Springs apart from this event is the Andy Sandberg movie. Really good, by the way. Yeah, right? I like the film. Yeah, I thought it was really funny, and that came out during the pandemic when I, yeah. I didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of content being made, and I remember really enjoying that one because it was a streamer. This is yeah. back before no one was going to movie theaters, and I remember being like, "Ah, oh, this is pretty good. This is pretty funny." Yeah, like I just sat, like I was waiting for it to come on. Like they kind of teased it a few times on like Amazon Prime and loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I don't really remember it much. I'm going to watch it again soon, but I just remember enjoying <laughs> it at the time. So uh, I'm guessing that's pretty similar to what life is like in Palm Springs. You say it's stuck in a time loop. and that, that Yeah, it's a, well, it's a great retirement community. So there's a ton of old people, but yeah, it, it is a good place for golf. I will say that you can, I mean, it gets really hot in the summer, obviously, but this time of year in Palm Springs is absolutely gorgeous i mean it's yeah. perfect weather it's it's like playing golf in a dome tom right like we play an outdoor sport but if there was any week where this felt like it was going into like an inside dome it would be this week because you know well it can get windy in palm springs but most of the time it's like there's not a breath of wind in the air and you're playing basically surrounded by mountains you're kind of in this i don't know canyon-esque area where you have mountains all around you so like the sunlight basically all reflects off the mountains and you're kind of in this very one-toned atmosphere if that makes sense at all but the only thing that i would ask you is like i well, I did my first Sunday podcast of the year in a while this week, so I've already done about an hour on these three courses, which might I add is way too long, way <laughs> too long for anyone to do on these courses. But before we get into the odds board, do you, uh, what what kind of sticks out to you about this rotation? Well, I'm pretty sure like, I, I listened to this earlier, and I'm, I kind of what I took away from it was basically. All three courses are virtually the same challenge, but stadium course is tougher, right? And that is pretty much the summary of it. As in, you know, water is basically the only hazard. Right. Um, the rough isn't. I do think there is a, you know, you know, like when there isn't really rough there and people think you can just bomb and gouge it, which you obviously can because there's not even any gouging, right? Like you can just bomb it and hit it again. But like, right. I do think there is a bit of merit to actually finding the fairways. Um, I, I agree. Think, yeah, Especially I at think, the stadium course. Yeah. So I think that's why you see some shorter, tidier hitters contend here. I think it's basically an event that anybody can win. You just have to get hot for four days. And that's what makes it, I think, most exciting. I think it's interesting. You you mentioned the the, the scenery. When you've got like two Hawaii events, then the Amex, then Pebble, like it's a really relaxing way to watch golf for the first month. It's wonderful. Like, it's, I, I think, love how we get eased into the season. It's like a, it's like a gentle handshake. None of these courses are going to blow you away. None of them are really hard. So you're seeing guys make birdies, but yeah, it's a wonderfully pleasant start to the season. And I think like it's generally for the players, but if it right to ease them into the schedule and, and oh, they're, they're chasing us up. Yeah. 1 but million percent. We're beneficiaries of it. Like, I think like, 
accidentally it's a really good thing for the tv production companies that they just get these four events that are wonderful to watch i mean like i can't really watch much of hawaii because it's on at like midnight but oh that's right yeah it, it's actually nice to just stick it on and go to sleep to because you're literally just watching someone hit the ball around hawaii like it's it's really like pleasant and <laughs> they'll be the same in amex this week so i actually really enjoy this time of year. like sony opens one of my favorite events it wasn't last week because i was trash at it but like uh, generally speaking should have been on Woo, buddy i know i was i was wrong that's my I, guy yeah. i was uh i keith mitchell it which was awful. oh i trust me i had my fair share of keith <laughs> mitchell as well and i actually am considering going back to him this week as dark as too. that sounds but yeah okay so anything else on the courses before we dive into the odds i guess board? i guess it's the par threes just make sure like par five scoring is how you're going to win the week but the Good par threes is how you're going to is how you're not going to lose it, I guess. Like if you can just avoid the water on those three or four final holes, sure on the back nine, then great. Yeah, and that's basically, by the way, that's true of the weaker two courses as well. Like it's funny, the most difficult historic hole at the Nicholas Tournament course is a 170 yard par three. <laughs> Which is just bizarre. I mean, some of these courses, and I I harped on this in the Sunday preview. So I don't need to do the whole thing again, but there is not a par four on any of these three courses that measures over 475 yards. And I don't know how you hold a PGA tour event at a course like that in 2023. I don't know how you do it. I don't know. And, and it's, it's actually surprising. I think you kind of referenced this as well. It doesn't get to 30 under par and it's because of those, kind of bits of bits of wind and, and a little bits of water that catch people out and things like that. But like, yeah, right. I mean, like, like you I'm, can, you can find yourself in trouble at the stadium course. Yeah. Which it's is, the which type is weird. Of, it, it's the type of course, by the way, Tom is that, and I've heard people say this about, you know, people that some of my friends at Palm Springs that play there more often, I've never played the stadium course, but if this makes sense, the stadium course is the type of course where, it really shows you the difference between a PGA tour pro and a regular golfer, because apparently, you know, for PGA tour pros, they have no problem shooting 64, 65 there. That course is a fucking nightmare for a regular golfer. Like if a regular golfer plays that course, they most regular golfers consider it like the hardest golf course they've ever played. Yeah. I think, I think it's one of like, it's so the margins, like everyone says, oh, it's fine margins, and it's not. It really isn't. Like they're just completely different. <laughs> they're, they're just different humans. Like we, we would, like we would turn up at like any of the pebble courses and just yeah. Be like, the gap has I... actually never been greater. And and Brando Chambly, I think it was, said this on the golf chat. It was either him or Nabil or someone. But there's never been a greater gap in terms of the regular golfer to the professional golfer right now yeah. as there is today. Never, yeah. and it's, and I'm guessing it's because the equipment's made it easier for the pros. Like they're just using the same game improvement stuff that everyone else is using. Hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah. And the ball just flies a million miles, you know, through the air and, right now too. And it's, so and it's weird because like obviously loads of this is obviously off topic a little bit, but like everyone pushes back about oh we should roll back the ball and all this sort of stuff. It doesn't really matter. Like the best players are probably still going to be the best. Like I imagine there's a couple of limited players that actually rely on being able to hit off sense of hits and get away with it. But like generally speaking, yeah. <laughs> most of them are finding like people have to try and not find the middle of the face 
to prove a point about driver like right well there are some examples like to be honest with you i don't know if bryson would have done what he did if no, there wasn't he wouldn't, he wouldn't, this, he wouldn't have attempted. If there, if there wasn't this forgiving of a driver no. face today, yeah, I don't like, think he would have done. And that. he already, and he's already saying like he regrets it to a certain yeah. extent, which like, is like which, kind of objectively hilarious because it's like, yeah, dude, when your meals are sixteen eggs a day, two steaks, yeah. and sixteen protein shakes, like you don't think that there's going to be any effect on your body no. at some point. <laughs> like I, the thing is, I was always in the boat of like, actually, I think it's a good thing that he's pushed it. Like I kind of commend him for pushing himself to it and finding a new way and just proving that you can do it. Sure. Like, there, there was always a, a case of this isn't going to be long sustainable. <laughs> like you yeah. need to figure out what you like. I, what I did was I did trust him to find the next edge because I think he's that talented, but He's probably put that by the wayside for the time being. And for what it's worth, no one can take that U.S. Open away from him. No, I mean, it no. was. And again, I have been I've been on because I'm I'm kind of like a closet Bryson fan. He's one of the players that I miss going to live more than others. But I will contend. I've said this on podcasts before that U.S. Open really got lost to time because it was during football season. It was during COVID. It was at a weird time of year. Um, there were no fans. But I thought that his performance at Winged Foot was one of the best golf performances of like the last like 50 years. And I say that I say that as somebody who has played Winged Foot before and you cannot find a single member there that will not tell you that is not supposed to happen. Yeah. You are not supposed to be able to do that to this, that course. And that essentially changed the way that restorations were done going forward. That U S open changed golf course design because Gil Hance did a restoration of winged foot for the idea of preventing something like that from happening and Bryson still did it. And it's actually changed. And he'll say this. He said this on interviews. It's changed the way that he looks at restoring these classical courses for major championships because of that Bryson performance at Wingfoot. And it's been completely lost to time. I mean, he was yeah. the only player that he shot five under par. There was not a single other player that shot under par. The only other guy that came close to him and he beat him by five strokes is Matt Wolf. Who's another guy that we don't talk about anymore. Yeah. I know. But I actually, the, the, the Matt Wolf one is sad because very actually, sad because I feel, he's, I feel sorry on, for him. he's, he's incredible. Yeah. He's incredible. He almost won the PGA championship at Harding park too. Yeah. Like I, I, because he was always against the odds a little bit with his bit of a weird move and that could always end up getting him into trouble and all that sort of stuff. I felt sorry for him that he had such a hard time adapting and fame Me came too. too quickly. And then, of course, obviously, then makes the decisions go to live and people are going to feel less sorry for him. And I understand that, right? Yeah. But I think the thing that gets lost with Bryson is this is a kid that was all about tradition before he decided to do what he did. Like, ben Hogan has he the, the, yeah, ben he's Hogan. Got the weird yardage mark. That's yeah. why I, and we might have talked about this on a podcast together. Yeah. I said this to somebody. But I incorrectly predicted Bryson going to live. I actually thought that his obsession with Ben Hogan and the history of the game would have maybe prevented him from going. And I, I ended up being wrong about that one. Yeah, I, I wonder if he 
thought his career might be short after what he did. That's a good just, point. And yeah. predicted him, so like, okay, I'm probably going to suffer some injuries here. Like, I'll just take this money. Like, yeah. I think, I feel like it's a purely business decision. I think the same with Brooks Koepka. Um, because Brooks same Koepka with Phil. Nothing. Phil, Phil, yeah. actually, Phil actually needed the money. Yeah, he had to do it. Like, he yeah. had no choice. Like, he was armed behind his back. The, the mistake he made was how he went off at people. Like, mm. if he had just left, like, Dustin Johnson, I have no qualms with whatsoever. Like, he's just... <laughs> He's done he, yeah. everything he wants. Like he's done everything. And he's good. Like he doesn't yeah. like people think he doesn't care. He doesn't need to prove anything no. to anyone else. And, and he doesn't, and, he doesn't care about having better career stats than Rory McIlroy. He doesn't care about, because I think, right. Wouldn't you say Tom, that outside of tiger. So we'll say non tiger division, would you say that DJ is probably the second most talented golfer of the last three decades outside of Phil and Tiger? I'd probably put Rory one. I'd probably put DJ two. And then I think we'll see how it plays out with some of the younger guys. But but of the 2010s, DJ is the second best golfer in the world overall, right? Yeah, I think I... I would almost put it as like a one A and one B, like because I oh, think I that, think I, th- I think Rory's better. I, I really do. He's got double the majors. Yeah, that's true. I think I think for me, the, the one thing I would say about Rory that I said quite a lot recently, and it's no like I think he's now become the most important golfer in the world. Like even maybe over Tiger at the moment because of what he's doing to speak up for the game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. I I don't know whether he when he came out. Like it was basically only DJ and Bubba that kind of hit it long and relatively straight. Mm-hmm. And I think he took advantage of that early on. And then I think the reason people seem to think that like the reason he's not winning majors is because he's chasing the green jacket and he's got caught up in all these other things. I just think the gap between him talent wise over everyone else is shortened. So it's much harder for him to stand out because his, his defining I, attribute is, is driving. I, I agree with that. I think that, Rom is not that far behind him. He's not. And I am a massive Rory defender. I'm a huge fan of Rory McIlroy. I still think he is the best golfer in the world. I think Rom has closed that gap considerably. And I mean, again, Rory, this is not really opinion based. I mean, if you look at strokes gained over the past two year sample size, Rory has statistically been the best golfer in the world. And he has statistically been a better golfer than anybody by 0.25 of a stroke per round over the last year. Now, if you shrink that sample size to the last three months, Rom has completely caught up to him. But again, but you know, I, I agree with you. I think that the guys that Rory was facing, even in the early 2010s, when he was winning Kiowa Island, that major by eight strokes, and he was winning Congressional by eight strokes, those days are long gone, buddy. Yeah. You and know, I, I think Rory will win a major again. I, I, I think he may even win one this year. He ain't winning shit over five strokes. No. I, I, <laughs> I can tell you that. And you, like you said about... Um, Bryson, right? Like you can't take the wins away from him. Like he beat Jason Day by eight strokes. He beat David Lynn by eight strokes. He beat right. Ricky and Sergio in an open by two strokes. And he beat Phil by one. But like, I just, I just want like, I don't think he wins the Masters this year. I th- I th- are, I are we think... talking about Rory or Bryson? Rory. 
Yeah, I I don't think he wins the Masters either. No, I think I think, I think the hype tra- I think the hype train is already off the rails. Too yeah. many season previews where people are saying Rory's going to win the Masters, and he definitely gets in his own head about it. Like, there's just no there's nothing stopping him winning that major. Like, there's no a, default. A, like, a million percent. The fact that he is so introspective is his greatest blessing and his greatest curse. And I have talked about this before as it relates to DJs because they have almost like polar opposite mindsets. But like, you know, the fact that Rory will say, yeah, you know, I did step out of my hotel room on Saturday night and looked at the leaderboard and envisioned my name at the top of that leaderboard on that claret jug and what it would feel like to have won the British Open at St. Andrews, the 150th anniversary, the most important major championship of the last whatever 50 years, you know, he, that's who he is. And, yeah. and, and, and I think again, like it's his greatest blessing and it's his greatest curse. And DJ just doesn't operate that way. He just doesn't think that way. He just doesn't care. And so I've said this before if Rory had a little bit more DJ in him, he would probably have a better career. And if DJ had a little bit more Rory in him, yeah. he wouldn't have gone to live. Yeah, of course. And I think that, I think at the end of the day, like Rory had that as a 22, 23, 24 year old, right? Because he just, all he knew was winning. So there was nothing to think about. And then he goes for a little bit of a patch where, you know, like 2013, he doesn't win on the PJ Tour or whatever. And suddenly, actually, you think, okay, I don't know how to win every year anymore. And then I think he had like 2017 where he didn't win. And all of a sudden, things become a little bit more, you know, difficult. Whereas DJ never he had that. He just tro- like just won every year, right? So yeah. I think I think we've like, like everyone used to say Rory needs Billy Foster on the bag to win Augusta or whatever, like, like whoever it was. And I actually think like everyone says it's to his biggest detriment that he has his caddy on the back. And I don't think it is. I think that's how he plays his best golf because he's just freed up. He gets to play all the shots he wants to play. He doesn't really sure. get challenged. Yeah. Um, a little bit like Bones and Phil, I guess, in the sense that he used to get one veto a year or whatever. I, I think that maybe sometimes he could be given a bit of uh, advice to take on the shot or whatever. But Harry Diamond is fine. Like he does a good job and he obviously enjoys having him out there. Um I think I think if he'd actually won the Open, despite the fact that the hype train would have gone on and on again for Augusta, mm-hmm. I actually think it would have been beneficial in the sense that he's not trying to win his first huge, major. In, huge monkey off his yeah. back. Like, what yeah. is it? I mean, it's been eight years now. It's been eight years. Nine years. It's been so, nine. It, it may have been. Yeah, nine. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's not, not going to be. This be his ninth year, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be the Masters that comes next. I just don't think so anyway. I, mean, I agree. If it does, great. Then I, fantastic. I agree. I actually think, and I said this prediction on the last podcast I did, and then this is the last thing we're saying. See, Tom, <laughs> this is what happens when we don't talk for a while. Um, I, I, I promise to the listeners we're getting to the board <laughs> in literally three minutes. But I actually think, and this is after playing Oak Hill this summer, um, I actually think that Rory is going to disappoint a lot of people at the Masters this year, and the hype train is going to go off the rails. And then for Oak Hill, people are actually going to be kind of down on him. And then I think that's where he—that's his spot because 
I'm telling you, Tom, they removed about 800 trees from that course. Rory's wife is from Rochester. He's an honorary member there. He's played there a bajillion times since the renovation. He's, I mean, his wife's family still has a place in Rochester. Members will say like he comes, he shows up and he, he works out there during the winter, especially during COVID. He was there a lot. So that's my prediction is I think he lets a lot of people, I think he breaks a lot of hearts at Augusta and then people kind of get down on him and say, ah, oh, Rory's never going to do it. And then, and then he comes out firing at O'Kell. Yeah. And I think like that's the biggest odds like on the board, right? For the majors, he's 12 to one for the PGA and that's the best bet. Yeah. Like, I mean, none of those are really bettable to be honest with no. you, but, but that, that would be the one that I would, say is the best course fit. I, I even, generally, even have and he's won royal everpool before too yeah this is my thing so i think he's actually just as likely to win two majors that are not the masters than he is to win the masters i, think I he's just as don't likely disagree to win. i think I he think could win the pga fair. in the open and, and then yeah. not win augusta yeah i think rom's gonna win the masters if i'm being totally honest yeah i, I mean i still don't really know like i, I tend not to get too into it we I'm shouldn't. Like, we should get into no, the Amex. We should. We should. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do um, all right, Tom. Okay. Here we go. We are, I'm looking at the odds checker golf grid right now. And uh, I'm seeing John Rom as the favorite at plus 650 now. Yikes. But I'm going to give you the names under that are most widely available under 20 to 1. And I want you to tell me. A, if you're betting any of those, B, if you're not betting any of those, who would be your favorite? But those guys are John Ron, Patrick Cantley, Scotty Scheffler, Tony Finau, Will Zalatoris. Um, all of those guys are between plus 650 and 20 to 1. Do any of those guys have your interest? I'm going to bet Zalatoris. And I like I, it. Yeah, I get. So the concerns are that he doesn't make enough putts. Like that's the most obvious concern that it's a birdie fest. His best strength is mitigated in the sense that he differentiates himself. Differentiates well, himself I guess with, people didn't watch the Corn Ferry Tour in twenty twenty yeah, or twenty twenty one. Exactly right. Like yeah. he was, he was shooting twenty under every week. He was, he played well here last year. Like he had one poor round that held him back. He finished sixth. What like he was thirty three to one in the tournament champions when we had no idea how injured he was, how how his back was, etc. Hadn't played for however many months it was, four months, five months maybe even. And we and we thought, oh, 33 to 1 is quite a good price. Like you're taking a chance, but it's a good price. And now he's 20 to 1 with less of those elites in the field. Uh, a course that's far easier on his back and all those sorts of things. Like that walk around, um, you know, Hawaii would have been awful. So I think 20 to 1 is actually good value. I agree with you completely. And I mean, if you look at his numbers from Kapalua, I mean, he finished 11th. Like, yeah. He was fine. I mean, and I have his best round was his final round as well, which which leads me to believe that actually there's no like if he was regressing throughout the week, I'd say like his back hurting and he's tightened up. But the fact he got better as the week went on suggests to me that he's actually just blowing the rust off, and now's a good time to get on again. Yes. Now let me ask you a more macro question about this event because I've been battling this one myself. Is that on one hand you have this really interesting trend of the top of the board hitting at an extremely high rate. Although last week, you know, I bet Siwoo at 45 to one. So I guess that was finally back to 
that sweet spot range of like 25 to 80, which is the guys that I love betting, but those are not the guys that have been hitting in the last year. It's been a ton of guys under 20 to one. Now you get to a course like this, and I would argue that a course like this, I guess I should say the three courses really mitigate a lot of these top guys' advantage, right? Like for example, if I was forced to play a match against John Rahm, I would choose one of, I would choose La Quinta Country Club because if John Rahm and I had to play a match, and this is the best way I would explain it to people to make the point that I'm making about how some of these top guys lose their advantage on putting contests, right? If I had to play John Rahm at a course like Torrey Pines, the the advantage that John Rahm has between us would grow, right? Because the way that John Rahm is able to drive the ball long and straight, the way that he is able to hit a long iron, that advantage would be accentuated so greatly at a course like Torrey Pines, where I would be so far behind the eight ball because that is a course that says you need to drive the ball long and straight. You need to be able to hit a high draw with a four iron from 220 yards out where at a course like La Quinta country club, the only time that John Rahm is going to have a four iron or a three iron in his hands is on the four par fives. And on all those par fours, you know, he's going to have an eight iron in or a nine iron in or a pitching wedge in. And if you look at the numbers, you know, John Rahm actually isn't an elite wedge player by any means. He's so the, the issue is, is that you get to a course like this and like the difference between John Rahm's, the difference between John Rahm from 220 yards and the average PGA tour player from 220 yards is pretty massive. Right. And that's why I have so much success at major championships too. But the difference between John Rahm from 110 yards and the average PGA tour pro from 110 yards, not as much as you would think. Right. So I've been battling on this course, right? Like, isn't this the ultimate course where you want to bet long shots? It is. If that, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. hundred percent. Historically. Yes. I would agree. And I think ultimately the difference this time around is if you believe the world rankings to be a factual representation, then five of the top seven being here and 13 of the top 20 means that there's such a greatly increased rate of one of these sort of shorter odd players hitting compared to other years that you're going to have to factor in a little bit differently, which would suggest that maybe just take one from the top versus the longer shots and then just stack your card up with longer players, right? The, the only thing on the, on the wedge thing, from 110 yards, etc. Does he just not have less shots from that range? And therefore, when he has one bad one, his average just goes up worse? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I... I it I would take think, some digging into, right? Like, you'd have to look at number of shots from that range versus... Right, and I do that, too. So, like, yeah. I look at, like, his last 50 shots from that range, and it's yeah. not great. So, right. no, I mean, I don't. he's not like a or wedge player. I just yeah. don't think that his advantage, you know, grows. I no, should say the way that it and, does. And I think I think the 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 difference what you've got to kind of decide, I guess, is like, yes, 
I would probably rather back John Rahm at 10 to 1 at Tory Pines than I would 6.5 to 1 at this because, mm-hmm. he, like his, like you said, the, the difference between the two players is so much greater. But probably John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay and I guess Finau would be the ones that could probably go on these five, six, seven, eight birdie runs in a row better than anybody else can. So it's they're kind of the best of that as well. It's, it's, it's a tough one. Right. So to answer the question that I asked you, like if I'm choosing down there, for me, it would actually be Finau would be my favorite. Finau would be the guy, and I haven't looked at DraftKings ownership at all. But if you had to start a DraftKings lineup between Rom, Cantlay, Scheffler, and Finau, and I guess Xander, because he's in the 10K range too, who would you start your DraftKings lineup? I would probably go Finau, not looking at ownership yet. I would, if I just, if ownership was out of the question, I would pick Cantlay. Interesting. I like that too. I mean, God, it's hard to argue with Cantlay at this course. And I think it feels like of the elite players that he he relishes this more than anybody else. Agreed. Agreed. And I think and and wedges to him better. Right. I think, I think of the elite players, Cantlay, I would say that most elite players separate themselves on harder courses. Yeah. And Cantlay is probably the one that separates himself actually more on easier courses. Yeah. He, he whatever wants these, like, he's never going to say piece of shit fighting contest because he, no, he loves yeah. it. Like yeah. he wants, he wants it. Like if you look at where he's, well, I know he's obviously won Memorial, but like the tour championship throws up plenty of birdies. The BMW championship was 27 under the, the week he won. Shriners, right. I mean, and, and I mean, even number. like he lost in a playoff, right? Or came in second at the Rocket Mortgage to Finau. I mean, he yeah. he dominates at the Shriners. The list goes on. Phoenix, like he, like yeah, they're, they're, he just relishes these. So I think that he's the one that enjoys it the most and just takes it. Like I think he just he's comfortable just going wedge, birdie putt, wedge, birdie putt, wedge. Whereas the others are probably, I think they get lulled into like they get bored, and I think yeah, is actually just enjoys it and just <laughs> <wants to> win. <laughs> um, okay. So can you give me your, cause the first bet that I made was Cameron young. And I was really surprised to see that Cameron young was so popular this week. I actually thought that he would be just a little bit under the radar. I was really shocked to see how much Cameron young love there is. I told you off air, I've had some stuff going on over the past hour, 24 hours with me. So I haven't had the opportunity like I usually do on Monday mornings to kind of peruse the odd boards, look at the opening numbers, see where everyone's at. By the time I got to doing that this morning, I had already missed the best Cameron Young number by, I mean, I, I'm, I got him at 23 to one. There were like 28s out there and then there were 25s and then the 25s left. And I don't really, I mean, I know why I like him, but he wouldn't have been my choice for a guy that a lot of other people seem to like. Why are you a little bit lower on him this week? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think one, it's the price. Like when that, what the, the 28 to 1 when it first came out between Tom Kim and Sam Burns feels about right. Um, right. Right, right, and right. And I, that, I really like Tom Kim this week too. Coming yeah, I off think the great, great bounce back spot for him. Yeah, um, yeah. Based on that kind of, we think driving accuracy could be more important than others. Like, sure, that, that yeah, oh yeah. So he closed the tournament of champions with sixty-four young, and he was also fifth here going into the final round last year, and was god awful on the final day. Like he was like seventy-seven or something. He um, dropped so from like inside the top five to he barely finished in the top 40. Yeah, yeah ridiculous. <laughs> so I think I think people are thinking like one, that they're remembering that and they're remembering that he finished tournament champions well. I think people still hold on to the fact that breakthrough wins happen in this sort of event. And the thing that I pointed out, I spoke to Brad about this on our podcast, was like... Love Brad. Sent him my best. He'll, he'll be back on soon. Yeah. He's great. And we kind of went back because he's on young as well. I said, that I don't think it's really that kind of course. Like, yes, you get the kind of breakthrough winners at Bermuda and, and all that and Mike over and all those kind of things. But like, this doesn't, I mean, you do get, you've got Adam Longs and people like that, but it doesn't strike me as a, a breakthrough for a really high potential talent. So Adam Long won and I don't think he could, potentially never win again and like Andrew Landry didn't envision winning five six seven times so if you're thinking of someone like a Cameron Young or a whoever getting their first victory Taylor Montgomery getting their first victories and you expect them to go and get six or seven I don't think this is a spot I think they just come and win this after they've done it for a little while and again if we're talking about mitigating things like his best asset is these really tough driving golf courses where he yep. just is brilliant right so I think he's almost John Rahm light yeah uh, yeah yeah, uh, to to put credence to what you just said, the course rotation changed in 2016. So yeah. again, be careful when you're looking at course history because we've only had since 2016, since this three course rotation was how it is. And 2016, Jason Duffner, not a breakthrough winner. 2017, Hudson Swafford, that might've been his first win. Um, I'm not sure. 2018, John Rom. Wasn't that kind of John Rom's first US win? No, he won Tory Pines the year before. He won Tory Pines before. Okay. I thought this. I thought I mean he had already been good on the Euro tour. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Uh it was Hudson Swafford's first win. Okay. I would put him in that same camp of like you don't expect him to go on and be great, right? And then 
Adam Long first win. Andrew, Andrew Landry. Landry. Who cares? It's yeah. Andrew Landry. Yeah, like I'm not going <laughs> to worry about it, but I think he probably won like Texas or something, maybe. Um, yeah, and then Siwoo had already won the players in 2021. Yeah. So, so and Hudson Swafford again in 2022. Yeah, and the weirdest thing is like Andrew Landry's had a like a win and a playoff loss here. Yeah. Um, all right, so give me give me your second guy. It, who yeah. in this like that you pro- my guess would be after Zalatoris, you probably have at least one or two guys in like the 30 to 70 range. So I'm in the 40, 42 to 60 range if we're going by. I'll just check us up. So okay. Tom Hoagie Tom Hoagie was next. Yeah, uh, me too. I'm a sucker. I'm a, I'm a sucker. But just he's such so, a good wedge player. Yeah. And the fact that people are going to be jumping off him a little bit because I think they were lit down by... Well, I don't think they were lit because I think people kept trying to talk themselves out of it because of the TCU George thing, right? And I get that. And then he wasn't that good last week, but he's still ranked ninth in strokes gain approach. He's still doing all the stuff that he does well, well. He's got a second and a sixth place finish here. He's won in a pro-am at the Pebble Beach. He's Mm -hmm. contended at RSL, which is a multi-course event. You know, there's... He's very feast or famine here, like his three missed cuts and three made cuts and the second and the sixth. But to me, Tom Hoagie, if you liked him last week, there's absolutely no reason not to like him this week. And he's kind of bigger price. I know he's got to play the the elites, but to me, I think he's a great price. I'm 100% with you. I have Hoagie at, I bet him at 45 to Perfect. one. Yeah. yeah. And then, so the other guy that I just like, I can't quit. I can't seem to get off is Cameron Davis. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought that might be the one. Yeah, who's finished third here before. And he was another guy that I think, you know, you're not really getting the depressed value that I would have hoped for if like he had missed the cut. You know, he was fine. He finished 32nd last week, but man, he hit the ball unbelievably. I mean, he gained 4.5 off the tee. 2.9 an approach and he lost three strokes putting, right? So if Cameron Davis is a neutral putter last week, he's at least in the top 12 of that tournament, right? Um, and so I do think that you are getting, I think you're getting a very fair price on him at, I think, you know, honestly, again, I missed it this morning. I saw 66s on Cameron yeah, Davis. No, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I got a 50 and was very pleased with that but this is a guy that seems to um early in his career seems to thrive in easy scoring conditions right it's interesting because he is an excellent ball striker so you would think and i think down the road this is actually going to be a player that's going to be very good at a place like augusta national um but but and he again he has some incentive because in my opinion i've been talking about this a lot with my friend joseph lamagna who's huge on cam davis and picked him in like the fourth round of our major draft knowing that he wasn't even qualified for augusta national in my opinion he is maybe the best player if not one of the top five best players not currently in the masters so you have that added incentive but i look at a guy who's fifth in opportunities gained which basically measures the amount of birdie looks that you're giving yourself inside 15 feet per round seventh in birdies are better gained and third in easy scoring conditions right so this guy scores he scores and 
We've already seen him take down the rocket mortgage, which is, you know, a bent grass course, but very similar scoring conditions. I think he won that at 22 or 23 under. Um, he's been plenty fine on Bermuda over the years. I mean, he's had great putting performances at the Heritage and the Wyndham. Um, obviously, he finished third here. And he, it, what I liked about him is he really dominated the stadium course here. In, in his three tournaments here, like he has been fine at Nicholas and fine at La Quinta, but he's second in average strokes gained per round at the stadium course. That course really seems to fit his eye. So I, I'm all in on Davis at, at 50 to one. So my only concern, I had to double check this while you were talking. So that third came in 2021. Mm-hmm. And that was the year where it was just two courses, right? So La Quinta, I think so. I La Quinta think the- was dropped. It, the, the year the that um wasn't it the year that Siwoo Kim won that it was like yeah, two or and can, three and rounds they, at the stadium course yeah, yeah. and can they chased him down with a sixty one so my only concern with it being is that he's brilliant at the stadium course and that's to your point is does he make his differential by playing three rounds at the stadium course versus yeah, having fair. to go and shoot low at the Kinza? So, and the mm-hmm. same could be true by the way of Patrick Cantley who finished second that year versus ninth for two other years like. Maybe these and Finau as well was fourth that year, but 14th and 40th the other two years. I just wonder if, like, when it became about the hardest golf course, those those elites came to the top. And I'm saying Cam Davis is in those elites, but he has that skill set that that suits them. That maybe that was an outlier. I, I still believe it's a good bet, and I still think he's a good just because he's in better form than he has been in general when he's come here, but. That would be my one concern with yeah. him, Cantlay and Fina. And the point that goes hand in hand with that is that La Quinta is such a fucking joke. Yeah. That like, <laughs> literally like that is the, like if they played four rounds at La Quinta, I don't think I'm betting a guy under a hundred to one because that course is such a joke. I mean, of a, and I talked about this on the Sunday podcast. I don't think it's suitable for the PGA tour now, but uh, anyway, so yeah, so I have Cam Davis, Tom Hoagie, um, Cameron Young. I bet one more guy at 66 to one. Do you want me to go first or do you want to reveal uh, the rest of your betting card first? I'll go with this guy at 60 to one. And I never, this is really like, I don't bet this guy very often. And I'm always kind of against him because I think the hype train was too much for him. And now I've gone the complete opposite. So, so Heath Fagala is 66 to one. Yep. That's a good number, man. That is a good number. And the reason I'm so high. So he was, you think about where he's contended, right? So he should have won the travelers. Pete Dye mm-hmm. design. I know there's not too much correlation between the two, but it's a Pete. No, Dye it's, yeah. It's, I mean, Pete Dye has a very similar thing with his courses where it's yeah. a lot of, um, he does a lot of the same things visually off the tee. Right. Yep. So he he does kind of play tricks on your mind off the tee. And that is why you see certain players that either like love his courses or hate his courses. Yeah. So you've got that. Then you've got the second of the RSM, which is another multi-course event mm-hmm. um, where he finishes behind Spence and had a chance, very good chance to win. Yeah. The third at Phoenix is a desert event desert. where he's a yeah. 54-hole leader. So it all kind of stacks up into his favor. Then you look at his debut last year. So he was 33rd. He shot 62 at the Nicholas course on Friday. Mm. He shot 72 at the Like, 
that's, that's probably so gonna, bad. Yeah, that, that's, that's not, not happening that's, again. That's yeah. not going to happen again. Like he's he's more likely to shoot sixty two than he is seventy two. I think so. Right. Um, he went out in the afternoon. I think there was some. I think there was some quirky results at the Kinter last year. I don't know. If there was like a bit of wind or something. There was there was some weird scores there, mm-hmm. but. But the thing I liked, so he shot a 68 at the stadium course on round three, so we can see that he can play that course well. He shot a 75 in the final round to drop 22 places. So that's, mm-hmm. he went from 11th to 33rd. So <sighs> not, not only has he shot 72 at Lekinza, which could arguably be six, seven, eight strokes eat, like better straight away. Right. Um, he's then got the, the – he's kind of coming back to the stadium course for the third time. Like this is a guy. Like literally, I put him to put it into perspective. I put him and Andrew Putnam right next to one another, and I was asking myself, "What, you know, what am I asking myself here? Like, what am I doing?" Well, um, think about the discrepancy too between, like, do you think that Sahith should be double the price of Cameron Young? Well, this is this this is again my my kind of uh, like. I mean, he's more than double, right? He's like three. He's times more than now. double, and I think there's. I mean, they're almost the same ceiling. I think. Well, let me ask you this question. And I love Sahith. Who do you think has a better career? So this this is the thing. I think that Cameron Young is so alive to go to live still that really why do why do you say that? Do you, he's got do you the re- ha- he's no, he's got the release to Saudi again. He does. And I, and he also, by the way, he he didn't really when they asked. No. Yeah. He was really he was really, um, I don't know what the word is, kind of just like weak on yeah. his response. I I think that he is probably going to, I mean, it doesn't matter now because he can play the Masters, so he could just move before the Masters, right? But yeah, I think if he stays on the PGA Tour and he commits to it, then I think it's a very close matchup. But I don't see, we're only saying Cameron Young at the moment because we've got the evidence of him doing the majors, whereas Heath hasn't really had that opportunity to, prove that he can't do it so i think yeah. that cameron young is is so much more well versed in the professional side like i think talent wise they're very close i think that cameron young's a better professional and knows how to yeah put the tournament together so i think the answer at the moment is still cameron young because of what we've already seen but i don't think it's three times the odds difference yeah last uh last real quick live thing and because and then i we w- got to do some long shots before i get out of here yeah. you know who's a name to watch big time burger yeah i mean where has he been why like, is where, there no reporting where? on it and is why, like- why why is why is there why is there absolutely no report it's a top 20 player in the world before he goes down with this injury and what other sport tom could a top 20 player in the sport have an injury and there's no freaking reporting on it at all. And it's not like places haven't reached out, right? It's not like sports illustrated hasn't reached out and said, Hey, can we get a comment on what's going on? He has been awfully quiet. And again, I'm not reporting this, but the person that has been, that I talked to that has, been right on everything that is really connected with all this stuff and really friends with a lot of PGA tour pros on both sides. I asked him about burger and he said, honestly, I have no idea, but I played golf with burger one time and he loves to fish and hunt. And I said, okay, I said, okay, that, that fits the, that, that fits the, that fits, that kind of answers the question I was asking a little bit. 
Isn't he boys with DJ? Uh, and didn't isn't wasn't he Ryder Cup partners with Brooks too? Yeah, I think. Yeah, he, I, I think like he's the he's the real Jupiter Life type DJ Brooks. I, I like, think he. I think he might. Again, I'm not reporting this. I think he know. might. We don't I think. Know, do I, we, think he, I think he. I think he might be gone. That, so you take away Daniel Berger and Cameron Young. That's another dent. Huge one. Huge one. They're still not favorite. Uh, Berger and Cameron Young is not Xander and Cantlay, though. If no. it's if it's Xander and Cantlay, Tom, and they played a Ryder Cup style match, that line's a pickup. Yeah, it's close. If, think- if it's if it's if it's Young and Berger, I think the PGA Tour is still favored, definitely. But if it's Cantlay and Xander, that's a pickup. That's huge. I think the tough thing is like. People are trying to say they don't care about Xander and Cantley because their personalities aren't like that, all that. And I get that. Um, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it's two huge elite players that they're two re- top eight on. bona fide players in the world. Yeah. I mean, look at any metric you want to look at. Those guys are at the worst bona fide two of the eight best players in the world. And what it does even though neither of them would be recognized in a grocery store, what it does is it evens the talent gap. So adds, all the, it just all, adds merit, right? All the arguments of, well, the best players in the world are still playing on this tour. Then that argument switches if you get yeah. Xander and can't lay. But anyway, yeah, yeah give me, uh, I have, um, let me give you what, how many more guys do you have sub 100 that you bet? None. None. Okay. I'm going to give you one other guy that I bet. And then, uh, I guess maybe we talk about a few long, to be honest with you, Tom, I haven't bet anybody above a hundred. Have you? I did. Well, yes, I did, but the number's gone now. Um, We'll get into, I want to hear about that guy then, but the guy that I have that I bet at 66 to one, and I'm not, I'm pretty like compared to the average, golf better i'm probably lower on course history than most but yeah adam hadwin man yeah this fucking guy and maybe it's my duke bias i because i drafted him in a lot of my season long drafts and he had a sneaky really good year last year he's played at he's played this tournament six times he's never finished worse than 32nd with four top six finishes including a solo second in 2017 Runner-up in 2019. He puts the lights out here. He's never had a bad putting performance here. It's not like he hits the ball here poorly either. But you start to look at... I mean, and he's the type of player that's really good across the board too. So you look at strokes gained at Stadium Course, Nicholas Course, La Quinta. He's top five in all three. So he loves them all. Just sign him up for all of them. And, you know, we talked about how the stadium course is like modeled after the West Coast version of TPC Sawgrass. Well, how's the seventh place finish at the players last year? We talked to you want to talk about desert golf. How's 10th, 4th, 6th, 10th, 12th, 17th, 16th, 26th in Phoenix and TPC Summerlet? Um, another course that I like personally in terms of architecture, and, and I think this course has somewhat similar architecture to the stadium course and a very similar stat strategy off the tee in terms of it's very risk reward with the driver. There's a lot of water. There's a lot of trouble in play. The greens are very benign. It's a very flat golf course is actually TPC twin cities. Uh, 
I think that TPC Twin Cities has a lot of correlation there between, and, you know, we've seen it. We, you know, Tony Finau, Adam Hadwin, a lot of the same guys play well at both, but fourth and six at TPC Twin Cities as well. My only, only, and last time he played golf, Tom, he gained 2.4 off the tee and 7.6 on approach. My only, only concern and I want, I haven't done the research to have the answer to this question is, is that I don't like the fact that he doesn't have any January reps. That's it. That's my yeah. only concern. And I haven't done the research to find out how many guys have won this tournament without playing the Hawaii swing. But my one concern is that I don't like that he doesn't have any January reps. So 11 of the last 12 winners of this event have played one of the two events. There you, in there you go. There you go. So that's uh, that's what and, you're getting with him. Yeah. So the only one it wasn't was wrong. So that who's John speaks Rahm? to yourself. Yeah. Who's, yeah. Who's, uh, so since since the new courses they've because otherwise you've got to go back to Bill Haas. Um, so that is one concern. I and a mitigate, big one that yeah. I probably underestimated. I would mitigate the so. The one concern I had originally was that his course form's gone the wrong way. So he's gone like six, second, third, second, and all of a sudden 32nd and 25th. But mm. when you look at the 32nd, that was in that year where the Kinta was dropped. So maybe he's yeah. a guy, conversely to the other guys, actually needs the Kinta there to have a good week. Yeah. 25th last year. Have we looked at Adam Hamwood's 2020 season? Um, like he was absolutely horrendous. Yeah. And then like 2021 to finish as, yeah. big, big rebound. He, he was really good last year though across the board big rebound yeah. in 2022 so then like 2021 he finishes with 46th of Muda, 56th of Mayakoba 51st of the RSM Classic like actually it's a pretty good result what he did at the Amex with 25th so yeah. um, I actually think he's probably absolutely fine and if anyone's going to win it I mean, those trends are there to be broken. So if anyone's going to win it off a no starts in January type, it's going to be Adam Hadwin because he just loves his golf course. Um, all right. Give me, your, give, me, give me your other guy that is in the 100 range. So David Lipsky is now 100, but he was 180. Um, Saw a lot of him last week. He, yeah. he got a lot of TV coverage last week. He's a good player. He and I think like there's, he was a reasonably popular pick last week from what I remember, like, People picked up on the fact he had a good full season. Um, so he was two shots back at the 36-hole stage, two shots back at the 54-hole stage, and then lost by four strokes. So he was basically in touch and distance all the way until the end. He's already won twice on the DP World Tour. He's won on the Corn Ferry Tour. And he's his fourth last week was actually his best ever performance on the PJ Tour. That's added to three top tens, three extra top tens since 2021 on the PJ Tour. So last year was actually his rookie season, which surprised me. Um, I thought he had dual membership before that. Um, so that's his third top 22 of the season, 10th at Mike over 22nd at Houston. And then I looked into Pete Dye form. So he's made six starts on Pete Dye courses over the PJ and Corn Ferry Tour. One of them is the Zurich Classic, uh, which is obviously a team event. That's but not all... a, but, but, but that's not a bad, yeah. the Zurich Classic, yeah. that course that there's a lot in common with the stadium course. Right. And he has a win and a second on the Corn Ferry Tour on Pete Dye courses. Wow. He was fourth at the Zurich with Aaron Rye. And I can't imagine Aaron Rye was carrying him in that event. Um, and then he was 14th here on his debut 12 months ago. Fourth in approach last week, 12th in tee to green. 
Um, six, final round 65 at the Shrine is his last desert start. Um, so obviously the, the actual week itself wasn't great, but one round there was pretty good. So I actually think Lipsky is really live one to just kick on this season. Like I think he suddenly found his feet at this level where he belongs. Um, but I also think he builds on every round that he posted last year, which was four rounds of 70 or better, um, and goes closer to the top five or six in the, in the field. Do you have his DraftKings price up in front of you? I can look too. 70, in a second too. 74, maybe 76, I think he was. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one. That's a, that's a really interesting one. 7,300 years. Yeah. Um, okay. That guy's that I'm adding him to, to dive into in my radar. Um, I got to go in a second, but do you have any other names like just bombs for a top 20 that you want to throw out there before we get uh, out of here? Luke List, I think could have a decent week. Man after uh, my own heart, but how the <laughs> hell is his putter going to keep up? Oh, I, I don't know, but he can do it on Pete Dye. So it's yeah. fine. I think he can top 20. Um, Harry Hall, I think, has got the scoring ability to. He's 20. he's pretty good. He he popped his head out last week. He's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I like him. Um, and then not really after that. I think I think it's pretty. I mean, if you want to go start Doug Gim Root or something like that, that could be fine. Yeah. But no, other than that, I think it's pretty slim pickings. Yeah. Um, we, we I'll throw I'll throw Ben Griffin out there, and I'll throw Johnny Vegas out there. So there's, I think. Ricky Fowler actually comes as a hundred to one in one place on the. Australian oh, I like him. He's on my radar. I'm gonna. Like he, I'm. I, I'm considering. I'm monitoring that situation closely. I like Ricky this week. I think his swing looks in much better shape now. He's come back to Butch. Looks think, great, right? Did you see that video? Yeah, and I think the fact that last time um, he was here, he was like the third six hole leader, but he was like visibly struggling with his swing in contention. I think that was with John Tillery, and now he's mm-hmm. back to Butch. I think it's huge. It's a really easy resort course for him, and actually. Matt Vincenzi made a good point that you can already bet him for Phoenix. Yeah. On DraftKings Sportsbook. What's his um, number? 80. Yeah. So if, if you if you're gonna back him this week, you might want to back him for that because if he wins this week, that's gonna be four. And I mean he's been unbelievable at Phoenix. Yeah. So I thought that was a really good point by him. Yeah, um, yeah, to- completely. Yeah. I mean, he's I haven't been so good at yeah. I then haven't got the time to go into the beef I was going to go into. Um, Wait, um, what's real quick? We've got six minutes. Christian Bezuidenhout's not very good at golf, is he? No, I. I mean, what is there like a Bezuidenhout? Well, just every, every time I go on Twitter, like I see someone picking him for the week, and it's like ninety I, there's, to one, hundred to one. There's like, ones that I don't understand. There's like random players that have fan bases that are so like unequivalent with their talent. Is Be- Bez doesn't strike me as one that like has that, but maybe we follow maybe, different maybe, people. Maybe I just fall in this horrible echo chamber of there's just this one guy that keeps just rinsing it. Maybe <laughs> like I just don't pay attention to it. Is but like I always hear like oh yeah, Bezuiden help. Like and I don't. Like, I, I'm not a. You're not. You don't have to twist my arm on that one. He's had like four or five top twelve finishes in the PGA Tour. Like, in I think his, Lingmuth in his had life. Yeah, like Lingmuth had three in like five events. So that's to put it in perspective. Like he's, <laughs> he's just not very good at golf. So um, basically, I did this. I did this bit last year about moaning about Bisweden Hout, and someone picked me up on it, and I'm back for my annual moan about Bisweden Hout. Um, I actually said earlier that him keeping his card was an overachievement, um, which, I, which I stand by. Um, Tom, 
This was a blast and we are going to do this a lot more often in the future. I'm still waiting for my invite onto your podcast, you will, starting you will to get to the point where I'm trying not to take it personally. But uh, what do you have going on this week? Where can everybody so, else so, find you this week? So the reason we haven't done that yet is I want a, I want us to do a topical one rather than the betting one, because I know you oh, prefer I, that. I, I prefer that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Dude, anything. I, 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 you know I'll talk anyone's ear off on that topic. I think I need to read the feel book for us to have a discussion <gasps> Dude, I would love that. And I've heard some, I have now, eh, I'll talk, I could say this off air to stuff, but I've heard some stories, you know, uh, from what I've heard about 20% of the Phil stuff that was found out was used in the book. I mean, there is some explosive fucking shit out there that, I completely on, that, on that guy. Yeah. And, and I have one or two stories that are probably just the tip of the iceberg but yeah anytime you want um i'm there for you buddy yeah so i'm gonna read that book and then we'll get that podcast done lost for words betting podcast and DraftKings podcast each week we are now on golf news network on the radio which is good fun so you can hear oh, us on fuck the, yeah what but, yeah. um what is that the betting show and DraftKings show yeah both of them yeah so we Dude, just where are, is what tell 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 us about that real quick so golf news network has been set up by ryan ballingy who has his own website already but has now set up this 24 7 golf radio network and he's basically just filling it with these pre-recorded shows we're on there it's now on iHeartRadio radio and tune in so people can be driving down in their cars and turn this radio on and we could be on there so that's awesome so it's going to be funky for hearing some weird British accents. No, nah, that's good for you, man. You have a very soothing voice. I'm a. I like doing podcasts with with British guys. You've got a. Uh, that, you've got, I mean, anytime I hear a British guy go on a podcast, I'm like, okay, I'm in good hands right now. You you, you might be the only person that's ever said that about my voice before, so I'm <laughs> going to take that and, and run with it. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes, uh, other than that, yeah, I think obviously I do my uh, articles and odds checklists uh, every week now with the sleeper and value picks, and obviously your right. stuff's on there as well, which we always should be checking out. But um, yeah, that's me, Tom Jacobs, my friend. It was good to see you, buddy. We'll do it again soon. And you look forward to it. All right, that is it for the podcast. We will be back on this feed next week for, wow, Tory Pies. That's a big one. Uh, but until then, you can find me on Odd Checker with Jeff Feinberg, breaking down the board in our video in the Golf Digest Experts Picks Calm Wednesday, my final DraftKings article. And I think that's it. So best of luck with your bets this weekend, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where a mobile steel rims crack And the dead in the back road stop When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. 
Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.